Well, good evening, everybody. My name's Robin Archer, and I'm the director of the Ralph Milbam program here at the London School of Economics. And I want to welcome you to our special event on the French elections and their significance for the left. Um, we hope to explore the significance of the elections, not just for the left in France, of course, but, but also more generally. And to help us do that, we've got a, a great panel tonight. Um, I'm going to introduce all three of them at the moment, straight off, um, and then they'll, they'll speak serially. Um, I'll just introduce them from the far end towards me, this way. So uh, furthest from me is David Bell, who's Professor of French at, uh, French government, I should say, at the University of Leeds. And he's spent a, a lifetime, really, studying parties, especially parties in France, and co-authored and authored a number of books, uh, especially ones on the Socialist Party and the Communist Party, which I think it's sort of have become standard resources for students and researchers alike. More recently, he's been uh, thinking hard about political leadership, especially the leadership of um, Francois Mitterrand, and more generally about the presidents of the Fifth Republic. So next to him is uh, Philippe Malier. He is Professor of French and European Politics at University College London, and he too has written extensively, um, in his case, on the history, the organisation and the sociology of the French and European left. And in addition to his various scholarly contributions, um, he's a regular contributor to Le Monde, Le Monde Diplomatique and The Guardian. And then next to me is Rokhaya Diallo. She's a journalist, a writer, a filmmaker and an activist. She's a commentator and a host on various French radio and television programs. She's published, well, I counted seven books, but it's possibly eight or, anyway, a significant number of books, um, including quite recently um, a graphic novel, Paris Ami. And she's produced and directed a significant number of documentaries and short films, um, including one uh, that compares uh, anti-racist activism in the United States and France. She's also been an activist in various organisations, um, including well-known organisations like ATTAC um, and other organisations that she herself set up, including one called um, the Indivisibles, probably pronounced differently, of which she was the founder, uh, which works to stop the partitioning of French citizenship by physical appearance. So that's our, that's our panel. Um, two, I think, or maybe three of them have just come straight from France, and they're each going to speak for about 10 or maximum 12 minutes, and then there's going to be a, a short period of so-called chair-led discussion. That means I get to ask them questions. And then after that, we're going to throw it open to you um, for a good chunk of questions and discussions from you. But um, before I ask the speakers to start, can I ask you to join me in welcoming our panel tonight? Um, well, I suppose the first thing to say is that the boy done well. Um, uh, 66%. It's not bad. It's not bad. But I would like to add a couple of comments about that, which, which I think will become important through the discussion as we go on. 
Um, the first is that this is far from a sweeping victory. This is not actually a landslide for Macron because uh, he's the... This is, in effect, this was the second ballot was a plebiscite on Le Pen, and Le Pen has been rejected, just as his, uh, her father was. So that's the first thing. It's not really an endorsement of a program or of a personality. It's a long way from that. So that's the first difficulty. The second difficulty is that uh, the French president hasn't got any power. The French president under the Constitution has the power to open flower shows, and that's it. Nothing else. Zilch. Nothing. Um, the French president doesn't even have a nuclear button. Um, that can be taken away. It's not a constitutional thing. So the power has to come from the Assembly. Macron has now got to win, and win substantially in the Assembly, to become an executive president. Uh, and that's what's now at stake. So the June elections which presumably be, you'll be inviting us back for, uh, are, going to, are going to be all important this year. Normally, the June elections simply are endorsement of the president. This time, this is, it's far from the case. Now, this is the, this is the line-up on the, first, on the first ballot, and you can see the difficulties. Um, there's, a very, there's a very narrow difference between them, and Macron's one of the lowest uh, first-round uh, totals um, in the Fifth Republic. Um, you have to go back to um, 1969, Pompidou and Poer. Uh, that is to say, two candidates, one of the centre, one of the centre-right. And uh, this is, uh, shows the weaknesses of uh, Macron's position. And you can see why Macron comes, comes ahead, I think, because you have here, what you have, you have a line-up of, you have a Nazi, you have uh, Fion, who was caught with his hand in the cookie jar, and peanut butter all over his face. And he's still got 20%, which is worth also bearing in mind uh, when it comes to June. Mélenchon, who's um, ditched the Socialist Party candidate, Hamon. So you have a loser there as well. And so who do you want to vote for? Um, well, it comes to it. When it comes to it, I think we'll take the banker, actually. But, yeah, all right, we don't want those crowd. So that's, 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 that's number one difficulty. As for the left, let's move on. There's a split in the French left, <clears throat> and this is just uh, opin this is an opinion poll by the, um, the university organisation, and it's just to show that there is that they developed over the five years of the Holland uh, uh, presidency a split in the French left between what you might call the um, Blairite third way left, which is represented by Holland supporters, and a sort of uh, Labour Party, Corbynite left, represented by Mélenchon. The, the, the values of these two groups are very different. And that split became evident, fully evident, in this election. Um, those are just uh, kind of graphic figures which demonstrate that particular case. So what you have on the left now is a three-way split between an alternative, a left de um, demanding an alternative uh, to capitalism, like Mélenchon, um, or Corbyn, you have those trying to keep social reform and realism together. Perhaps the best example of that in France is uh, the mayor of Lille, Martine Aubry. And then the third way, represented by Renzi and 
Valls, the former French Prime Minister, Tony Blair, obviously, and we had a discussion about this before. I think Macron fits into this tradition, so I place Macron on the left, but as a kind of Blairite third-way left, and a lot of Socialist Party voters moved to Macron, and a lot of Socialist Party leaders and grandees moved to Macron as well. So that's repeated across Europe, but it's particularly evident at this election in France, as I see it. And this is just to make clear that the working-class vote, which was once about 70% um, uh, for, the, uh, for the left, has now split in different directions. And, of course, it makes Le Pen the principal working-class party, the National Front, the principal working-class party in France. This is not unusual. If you look at the statistics um, on populist far-right parties across Europe, or, I mean, Austria, the Netherlands, you find the same, the same pattern repeated. In Austria, it's the biggest working-class party, as it is in France. What's interesting, of course, here is that uh, Hamon, Hamon has, has uh, the Socialist Party candidate, his vote has collapsed in, in the working class. Uh, though one should be careful because it never was the case that 100% of the working class, however you define it, <coughs> voted for the left. There's always been uh, something of a leeway there. So um, you have had these three candidates, <coughs> Mélenchon, federating the far left against <coughs> austerity, <coughs> Benoit Hamon, kind of more, more new, new liberal than Mélenchon, and uh, Macron, who, as I said, I think can be placed on the left as a sort of third way. Macron comes from the tradition in the Socialist Party, which is connected with Michel Rocard, and um, is something like the, the third way. So, um, number one warning, Macron hasn't won, won anything yet. Macron's got to win the assembly elections. The crossover vote to the Front National from the left is very significant. Um, but again, I would add a caveat to this. A lot of the voters for the left, uh, voters who seem to have come from the left, like the working class, were in fact not on the left in the first place. They seem to have soaked up a lot of voters uh, from the working class and uh, middle class who were initially um, on the right anyway. Uh, protectionism and anti-European issues have come to the fore and you have a very big uh, percentage vote. If you, add them, if you total them up, you have almost about 46% supporting these sorts of positions. Uh, that's something that Macron will have to face. Um, the Republican Front, which the French call their defense against, um, the unity against the far right, unity against Le Pen, which functioned very well in 2002, when Jack Chirac got 80% of the vote, the Republican Front is now fractured, and particularly because Mélenchon uh, has refused to actually say vote for Macron, um, but also for other reasons as well. The glass ceiling for the Front National, which presumably people will come back to, but the glass ceiling which people talk about, that is to say the limit which they can't go beyond, um, has gone up. There's still a glass ceiling, but it's now at 33 34%, not as it was in 2002 at 20%. So it's gone up, and it's going to go up again by any calculation, by most uh, sort of projections. Um, 
I would also add a caveat on this. I know we're not talking about the National Front, but the National Front has been in business now for 40 years, but it hasn't actually won anything. It has got a few town halls, which it then loses, but actually what has it got? Um, it, it, it's it's a big tally at the first round of the presidential elections. doesn't get it anything. doesn't get it a vice presidency or something like that. So they're good at racking up votes where they don't, they don't matter, but they so far haven't broken through, and that was the whole intention of Marine Le Pen's strategy, and it doesn't seem to have so far worked. Remember that the June elections will determine where power lies, so it's game on, it's not game over. And just to give you one plausible scenario... It's extremely difficult to actually reckon what will happen in these June elections. You can't just scale up uh, from the presidential elections. To start with, uh, the presidential elections are presidential elections. Whereas these are constituency elections where local factors will count, local incumbents and so on and so forth. What do we know about the Socialist Party? Well, we know the Socialist Party has been shattered. It's split three ways between those who want to uh, continue with Hamon's policy to mark out a status on the left. There are those who want to join with Macron, and there are those who uh, think that uh, they ought to wait and see. They ought to play uh, a careful hand and support some measures and not others. But the Socialist Party over five years has been shattered because it's lost local positions, it's lost money, um, and it, it is now very much tempted by... Uh, overtures from Macron. So there's a major problem there. The Front National, it, it was top in 216 constituencies in the first round. But again, I don't think that translates up. This is, my, uh, this is a guess. I mean, it could get as many as 40, 45 perhaps. It came top in 45 constituencies on the second round. Um, it depends how things will work. Um, the Republicans the centre-left party. Now, they, I would think at a minimum they would get about 140, but they may emerge as the largest party in the Assembly and they may even get an absolute majority. Again, that depends on their state of uh, affairs. They're obviously furious, the local activists, they're furious because this is an election which they should have won and they should have won easily, instead of which they've been wiped off the map. So... Is that fury going to be taken out on the other parties or is it going to be taken out on their leadership? Is it going to be taken out because they're just going to sit at home? Who knows? There's difficulty on that. And En Marche, uh, La République En Marche, uh, Macron's new movement. Well, it's, it, it's a movement, it's a party from a standing start. And um, nobody has won an election from a standing start yet, not even de Gaulle. Um, it would be a considerable, it would be an astonishing achievement, perhaps his biggest achievement, if he did win a majority, though you could imagine it. You could imagine it happening. And then one final caveat to that, um, in, just in my last hour, I'll... Just joking, just joking. Uh, just my last caveat. Yeah. The, the difficulty with getting through reforms in France, of the reforms, that, the sort that Macron is trying to push through, particularly labour market reforms, the difficulty is not that the previous attempts have lacked a majority in the Assembly. Those were made in the mid 90s, uh, amongst other times, and it, 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 it resulted in mid 80s, it resulted in riots on the streets. <coughs> 
the difficulty is not the majority in the assembly. So he must win a majority in the assembly, but that's not all there is to it. And has Macron got the chops? Is Macron enough of a politician to work um, around social obstacles to get what he wants? And there's no evidence yet that that's the case. He's, he, looks, he looks good on a podium, Macron, but does he have the political savvy in order to work around these particular problems? So, again, it's not over when the elections are over. It's not over yet. Thanks. Right. Good evening, everyone. Well, to start with, I'd like to uh, point to a point of high public interest. That is, um, since I've been covering French presidential election quite, quite a few now, I think that's the first time ever that the newly elected president is younger than me. <laughs> and by some margin, so that shows something about renewal in French politics. Yes, indeed, that's, that's quite unusual, such a young president. And as David says, a very untested politician, so we shall see, in fact, what he will do, um, uh, because a lot of it is pretty, pretty unknown. I'm going to talk about the, the state of the French left, because that's really the sort of the major theme, the main theme uh, tonight. Uh, that will come toward the end of it, in fact, with a special mention to uh, the Socialist Party, the incumbent party in government, not for long now, and the... Uh, what now we, we call in France the radical left, and uh, we had candid, which had a candidate, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, did very well. So, but I think essentially in order to understand uh, the, the state the, the French left is in, uh, one needs to think about that situation dialectically, di- you know, within the broader uh, political um, field. I think the first point I'd like to, to make is that, as you know, it's been a very uh, surprising election, uh, full of twists and turns, most amazing election, very spectacular election. I was proved uh, wrong, and I gave very many uh, inaccurate and wrong uh, predictions about it, some in writing, which is a bit uh, embarrassing. Uh, for instance, I said that uh, when uh, Amon uh, was... Um, chosen in the primary of the Socialist Party of the left, not the entire left, but part of the left. I said, well, that's it for Mélenchon. You know, he's going to go down now, and it's all the way up for Amon, because Socialist Party is the central party, French political life. He's giving a shift, he's shifting the party to the left. That's what the electorate, uh, the left-wing constituency wanted. So he's going to retain uh, sort of die-hard, traditional uh, social democratic voters, and also appealed to those on, on, on the far left. That, that was my prediction. As you know, I was, was a little bit wrong on that. But very surprising thing. The good thing is no one predicted what Mélenchon did. But the first point, first of all, is really to uh, discuss that, how predictable the whole, the whole thing was. And I think it, it wasn't. And that leads me to the next consideration, which is, uh, is it, are we sort of seeing before our eyes something of a equivalent to a political revolution? Not the kind of revolution where people t- take to the streets, although uh, we might get there at some point, but a kind of institutional revolution, political, partisan, where all the established institutions in French politics are collapsing before our eyes. Uh, think about it. 
The two main parties which have structured French political life over the past decades were out of the race in the first round, which is absolutely unseen before. Think also of the script which was uh, written uh, long before that election ever started, which was a kind of rematch of 2012, i.e. you would get again in a second round a duel between Sarkozy and Hollande. Well, you know the story, so I can move very quickly uh, along that, which is uh, Sarkozy was defeated in, in his own primary, and Hollande couldn't even run, compete in his own primary, uh, for fear, of course, that he would lose it. So that's the reason why he didn't run. He wanted to run. He was desperate to run again, but he abstained because uh, he knew, looking at opinion polls every day, that he stood no chance. So, of course, the rejection of Hollande was very strong. Um, so is it really political revolution, or is it simply a, a kind of series of car crashes? I think my view is more that we've, we've had, and that's politics in the end, you know, series of car crashes. Some of them could have been avoided, but, you know, like a car crash, you can't, you can't predict. It just happens. A minute of distraction, and the driver, uh, of course, uh, gets into, you know, his car gets into another car, and that's, that's the car crash. Think of Hollande not being able to run. Think of François Fillon. David put that very, very well. You know, he was the sound candidate. He should have won. He was an experienced candidate, tested. He was from the opposition party after five years of a socialist government, very unpopular. So that was really the turn of Les Républicains. They should have won it. But, of course, until... I think he made a double mistake. Well, one mistake and one thing which wasn't covered lately, which was, of course, the uh, corruption allegations. But also, he went to that election with a, and I quote the financial press here, with a neo Thatcherite program economically, which is not a very good idea if you want to win an election in France, like proposing the slashing of half a million jobs in the public sector. That's the sort of thing he, he went along with. Juppé, another conservative who could have won also, was defeated in a, in, in a, pri in a primary of the right for being too left-wing. Um, and finally, Benoit Mont uh, defeated Manuel Valls, the uh, former prime minister, socialist, although a lot of people in France would dispute that he ever was a socialist, but nonetheless, he's still a member of the Socialist Party. So count crashes, which in turn, are, of course, is going to reshape, I think very strongly in the years to come, the sort of... Uh, uh, the French political field. I think we were, until that election, it was a quadripartite situation. That is, four main parties, or four main blocs, rather. Socialists on the centre-left, Les Républicains on the centre-right, two, the two main blocs. You had, of course, on the far right, the Front National, another bloc, always in the minority, of course. And on the far left, radical left, uh, the left front, now it's the unbowed France, la France insoumise of Mélenchon. By the way, unbowed France was the sort of declining block of the four before the election. And the other twist, final twist in that election was that Mélenchon was the guy with the momentum in the end. He could almost have made it to the second round. So we could have had a Macron-Mélenchon second round, 6,100 votes short behind Le Pen. Amazing. Amazing the surge in the last two weeks of the campaign. Uh, I'll be very quick on Macron because I think I want to talk 
not to talk, I've got 10 minutes only, and also uh, I want to talk about the Socialist Party and, and the Left Front. But I think Macron, of course, it remains to be seen, as, as David uh, said, whether he can first secure majority in a national assembly in next June. Um, that's not a foregone conclusion, because he's starting from zero. That's another funny thing. He's got no political party at the moment. So he's got to launch one very quickly. That reminds me very much of the situation of Berlo, uh, Silvio Berlusconi in Italy in 1994, launching Forza Italia out of the blue and winning uh, an absolute majority uh, then and becoming the main party. So that could be a similar thing. Um, of course, if we don't write off, let's not write off the main conservative party, Les Républicains, they could still make a comeback and even be the main parliamentary group. That's the other, this, this is where the plot thickens again. You know, they could be the main parliamentary group with Macron not being one of them. So in that case, Macron would have to enter into a coalition government with bits of the right and possibly also turn to his left with bits of the Socialist Party. So that's really where it's going to be, become very messy and very interesting as well, of course. Let me now uh, talk a little bit now about, about the left. And to start with the Socialist Party. I think as, at the moment there are three different streams in the Socialist Party. It's a very deeply split party. Uh, it's a party which was always split, like the Labour Party, broad church, several factions, different ideological uh, inclinations, uh, but at night it got to the point where clearly between the right wing and the left wing it seems that it's a matter of days before they divorce because they really can't get along together. The first faction, I would say, I would call them the Macronists, those who lean toward Macron. And we know them. They are led now more and more obviously by Manuel Valls, who weeks, months ago was still prime minister in, in a socialist government for... Uh, for Hollande, who's already said, and I think he said it today, well, I'm ready to serve. So now the question is, if you're ready to serve, probably jump a ship and go and join in the Macron party. So that would be, of course, a major, a major development if you were to do that. But there are enough people, former ministers, who are ready already, who have been doing the campaign of Macron. And that's really the first the sort of right-wing, neoliberal wing of the party is ready to work along Macron. Then you've got the party apparatus, the center. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. Jean-Christophe Cambadélis is the party leader, uh, very much of an apparatchik. And he's been trying to do the sort of, as a centrist in the party, to try to accommodate a bit of the left, a bit of the right. But frankly, I would say that he's, he's biased. And his bias is more to lean toward the right than the left. He hasn't been very supportive of poor Benoit Hamon in his campaign. Kamali is, of course, being a socialist, a former Trotskyist. This party is run by former Trotskyist, of course. Um, but very much of a centrist today. And then you've got the left. And Hamon, it's true, uh, was, was coming from the left, but not, the, 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 not a Corbynista. It's a different type of left. I have no time to develop, develop here, but don't think he's a French Corbyn. It's, it's a different type of left. He's younger. His approach is different, and I would say more open-minded, more modern, I should put it. I can't say more, it's a bit uh, reductionist to put it this way, 
and I'm sorry if there are, if there are any Corbyn supporters in the room, but that's the sort of, it sounds a little bit terrible for Corbyn to put it this way, but that's the sort of, if you give me a chance to elaborate on that later, I'll do it. Um, very much of a, very much, very strong on green issues, very strong on identity politics, citizenship, um, race relations. Well, strong for a social democrat, which normally uh, couldn't care less about that. My last point is about the Mélenchon and about France. What well, well, a funny name. And, and sort in a sort of provocative manner, I should like to say, we all know where Mélenchon comes from. He's a former socialist, spent all his career for 35 of his political life in there, was a minister in Jospin's government, 2000-2002. So he's not, he's not a leftist, although, of course, in his younger day, he was a Trotskyist. But that doesn't count, I believe. He's a kind of, he's a Mitterrand Myra. He's a Republican, above all, a French Republican. And whatever that means. And he's also, as a sort of rediscovered his radical roots by leaving the party in 2008, creating his own party, the left party, that's the name. But he ditched it to create, to launch that movement. It's not a party. Going it alone with no sort of attempt to involve his former allies, the communists and all the groupings from the left, going it alone, is put into practice, those of you who work on populism in academia, and there's a lot of literature on it, is put into practice all the work uh, of uh, Chantal Mouffe, Ernesto Laclau, you know, left-wing populism. Uh, we need to re-antagonize politics, but we, we need to do it in a different way. No more talks about class struggles, the red flag and socialism. We don't talk about that anymore. We need now to federate the people, the nation first, not the left. So there are no talks about the left anymore. Symbolically, rhetorically, that's over. That's really what is new about Mélenchon. And I think his uh, gambit seems to have paid off in his campaign. He's managed to uh, bite into segments of the electorate which had been, uh, hasn't been followed uh, or hasn't been voting for, for the radical left in a long time. The young and members... And, and rationalized population or members from ethnic minorities, if you like. So that's really what he's been doing. And I'm going to conclude on that. It remains to be seen whether his uh, very good score is, is a sort of, or goes well for the future of the left. That is, is he the new dominant pole on the left, or a little bit like Syriza did in, in, in Greece, uh, you know, superseding uh, the PASOK in free fall? I'm not sure. I can't say too much because I need to conclude now, but I'm not sure. Uh, because uh, clearly the distinction between left and right is still very, very strong in France. And this is really the gambit, you know, going it alone. And we saw it with this decision not to call for a Macron vote, not to call, that is, to call for, to defeat uh, Le Pen, has blurred the lines between left and right. You know, traditionally, if you're on the left, your concern would be to defeat the fascist, even if you vote, you've got to vote for the banker, as, we, as the French put it, on the left. So that's really um, work in progress. And again, we shall see in this general election, uh, forthcoming one, uh, whether his uh, gambit has, has paid off, but I think it will be quite hard for him. Thank you. So I can, I can just start and um, tell you what Maybe I... Maybe this person can sort it out for Thank you. you. So I wanted to focus on a very particular topic, 
and to me that uh, symbolizes um, uh, very very well the way uh, there have been a shift in the way uh, the socialist party positioned itself in uh, in France so um, last Sunday the second round in France opposed uh, center left left or right I don't know <laughs> candidate to a far right one it's something uh, very interesting to wonder how we have come to that point uh, because no one could have predicted uh, such a result just one year ago. Uh, the rise of the Front National is obvious, and it have, ga have gained uh, more and more voters over, but its main victory is to have succeeded in uh, making uh, its ideas mainstream, uh, not only on the right side of the political chase game, but also on the left party, which has the left parties actually, which have been able to govern over the last decades, especially on the Socialist Party. So... Um, how does it work? <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, since its foundation, the, the, oops, the Front National has focused on, the, on its discourse on immigration, and it, I, I want to go over the three last, last decades to understand, to, so that you can maybe understand how we came to that, the point that we are uh, uh, today. Its first success was to make its concern relevant and respectable. So I gave you a few past examples on immigration. In 1984, uh, the socialist prime minister, Laurent Fabius, who is here, uh, told that Jean-Marie Le Pen, who was then the head of the Front National, uh, known as a, race, as, uh, a racist, uh, he said that he was asking the right questions but giving the wrong answers. So he was already conceding something um, to uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen. Uh, Prime Minister uh, Michel Rocard uh, said later that fr uh, fr France couldn't uh, take all the misery of the world and that it must remain what it is, a land of exile, exile no more. Uh, in 1989, uh, François Mitterrand, the socialist president, declared that uh, the, the threshold of tolerance has been reached regarding immigration and it was a socialist uh, prime minister, Edith Cresson, who decided in 1991 to deport undocumented immigrants by charters. Uh, those statements shifted the whole discourse about immigration to make it a problem, which was not the case a few years before. Um, so that during the refugee crisis in uh, 2015, François Hollande, uh, the president, did not attempt to mitigate the dark closed ideas of the Front National, uh, instead, he conjugated the humanitarian necessity with the interpretation of reassuring, reassuring firmness for those who fear uh, the invasion of immigrants. He went no further than affirming that all borders in France uh, must be protected. And his minister, uh, Prime Minister Manuel Valls, told that he had uh, to distinguish refugees from migrants who have no business in our territory. So those are socialists. <laughs> On French identity, the Front National has, uh, National has always played on the idea that there were two categories of citizens, the French by blood, who are called Français de Souche, uh, an expression that was brought to the public political arena by the Front National in its newspaper, Le National, in 1979, and uh, opposed uh, to the French by papers, Français de Papier, who were immigrants or children of immigrants. The Front National has always advocated for the ban of the right of birthplace, the use soli, so that people who are born from foreign parents couldn't be French. Uh, in 2010, Nicolas Sarkozy, the former president from, uh, the, Republic, from the, the right, the former Republican Party, considered to strip of the French nationality any person from foreign origin who may have attacked a police officer or any public servant. 
all the public figures from the left protested. To them, it was unacceptable uh, to make a distinction between uh, the Français de Souche and the Français de Papier. Many celebrities and politicians, including François Hollande and Manuel Valls, signed a petition. But last year, uh, after the horrific um, terrorist attacks, so it's the, it's, it, it's the, um, the slide is about the, the Front National, but last year, after the horrific, horrific terrorist attacks uh, that shook France, François Hollande, be, uh, become president, uh, in the meantime, decided to strip of their French nationality convicted terrorists who are binational, those who have a second nationality, even if they are French-born. He was uh, supported by his prime minister, Manuel Barthes, who is uh, an immigrant who became French when he was uh, 18. That's interesting. And it was, um, to me, more a signal sent to cert a certain fringe of the voters than a measure that would have any effect on terrorism. Most of the terrorists uh, did, not only, did only have one nationality, and most of them were involved in suicidal attacks. So how the fear of losing the French nationality would have any different effect of, on people who are planning those suicidal, suicidal attacks? Another example is the discourse on uh, Islam. Uh, since 1989, uh, the year where two Muslim middle school students made headlines by asserting their desire to continue their schooling while uh, wearing the hijab in Cray, in the suburbs of Paris, uh, the controversies uh, related to the veil multiplied. Since 2004, young Muslim uh, women, uh, girls, don't, no longer have the right to attend school while wearing the hijab. The Socialist Party, as well as the mainstream anti-racist organizations, among which SOS Racism, which in 1989 were against the dismissal of the students from high school, have totally changed their views. Uh, in 2004 and, by, and expressed it by supporting the ban on headscarves in public schools, as well as, uh, you know, in the, in the same movement as the, as the right parties. Since then, a number of veiled mother have, mothers have been prohibited from attending class field trips. Moreover, since 2010, it is illegal for fully veiled women wearing to appear in public. And the only socialist who supported uh, the law at this time was Manuel Valls, who belonged to the minority right wing of the Socialist Party. Despite the fact that uh, the socialist supporters did not support him, he, hardly, he only had 5% during the primary election in 2012, he ended up being appointed as the prime minister. And as a prime minister, Manuel Valls, a socialist, defended the Burkini ban, a ban of the Muslim swimsuit in public space. He said that the most important thing is not unemployment, but the identity battle, the cultural battle. His colleague in the government, Laurence Rossignol, Minister of Women's Rights, compared Muslim women who choose to wear the hijab to American N-word who were in favor of slavery and nobody reacted uh, against her. In the contrary, not only she remained in the government, but also she had the support of established politicians from the left, including Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who is supposed to be one of the most radical leftists. On uh, law and order, uh, the Front National has have always been pro-law and order and supportive of a strong police action. Since the terrorist attacks of 2015, France is uh, under the effect of the state of emergency, a measure that was meant to be temporary but is ushering in a police state and making some citizens victims of institutional oppression. When proclaimed by the government, the state of emergency is not supposed to last more than 12 days. 
the, the law also authorize, uh, authorizes a person to be put under house arrest and um, administrative searches, data seizures, and even holding minors on, the, on, the site, on site sorry, of search uh, premises for up to four hours and it's, it's, it's uh, authorized. Ne neither a warrant nor a formal charge is required. And the state of emergency has been extended three times since November uh, 2015. It means that, mo uh, that we have been more than a year and a half um, of an exceptional state in a country that is supposed to be democratic. Because uh, anti-terrorist specialists, when asked during a parliamentary investigating commission, stated that a state of emergency is not an effective instrument. So the response of the socialist government is obviously ineffective, but still sends a signal to the voters who are sensitive to uh, law and order policies. On uh, institutional racism perpetrated by the police, uh, studies uh, by the NGO Action by Christians for Abolition of Tortures shows that each year in France, 10 to 15 people die following police action. Typically, typically those are young men of a North African or black, uh, North African origin or black men living in disadvantaged neighborhood. According to the latest report of the Human Rights Defender, the, the administrative authority in charge of combating discrimination, young men perceived as Arab or black are 20 times more likely to be checked than others. When he was elected in 2012, François Hollande had among his best results in the suburban, suburban neighborhood in Paris. So uh, I picked a few places that to me um, symbolize uh, the place where um, minorities are predominant. So for example, the Saint-Saint-Denis in the suburbs of Paris, he had more than 60, 65% of voters. In the overseas territories of Guadeloupe and Martinique, he, has much, he had much support. And in those uh, territories, most of the inhabitants are people of color. And he had 86% uh, um, uh, of the Muslim voters. So it's a large number, meaning that people were really hoping uh, that there would be a shift from the policy of Nicolas Sarkozy. And many of them expected that after 10 years of security policies going further and further to the right, something would have been done. And uh, François Hollande, during the campaign in 2012, promised that to act on police racial profiling, and at the end of the day, he didn't do anything. Instead of that, he decided to, priori to prioritize the concerns of the racist voters over those of the people who have been loyal supporters and got him elected. So making ideas created by the far-right mainstream has never helped the Socialist Party to gain power. It has just made them lose more and more voters and maybe one of the reasons of its implosion if it comes in the few next month. The left is not supposed to be the consensus but to be brave enough to be against the stream. It is supposed to question the effects of capitalism and to support policies that would help minorities whether they are ethnic or social. So uh, the Socialist Party has to decide now whether it's stays on the left or not, whether it splits to join one, on one hand the centrist Macron uh, and on the other hand the leftist Mélenchon. Uh, if, it, if its will is to stay on the left, it will have to take risks and to voice ideas that would not please the majority. According to me, it is its only hope to not, not to be swallowed by a centrist uh, mainstream party. Thank you.
thank you all very much. Um, as I said, I'm going to ask each of our panellists a question um, and see what they have to say, and then after that we'll, we'll open it up to, to everyone here. So I think I'll just go in the order of the, the speakers. So um, starting with um, uh, David Bell. So you, one of the things you were talking about was the, the fate of the Socialist Party, and, I mean, we, we actually heard former Prime Minister Valls saying this morning, I believe, that it is dead. I mean, uh, not just that he was a candidate, but that it is dead. And I wondered if you could reflect on that, um, drawing on your own expertise on the Socialist Party throughout the last hundred years, and especially your expertise on Francois Mitterrand. And just by way of preface, it, I mean, I think it's worth remembering that Mitterrand himself was not someone who came from what was then the mainstream Socialist Party. He was someone from outside it who put together a new coalition and called it the party, which is now the Socialist Party. Um, he was also someone who was very ambiguous as to whether he was from the left or the right. I mean, in some ways, more fundamentally ambiguous than Macron. After all, he um, was ambiguous on the question of the occupation of France, um, at least privately. So, I mean, is Macron sort of a, a neo-Mitterrandist in, in the sense that I am suggesting? Um, is he going to sort of reformulate a new socialist bloc and in that sense carry on the French tradition, or is it a more fundamental break than that? That's, that's the entire question, isn't it? No, no, no. <laughs> that's and you're the expert. That's one, well, that's one of the things that June will tell us. Yeah. I, I, I can make a couple of things about that. I mean, the, this, well, the Socialist Party is now incredibly weak, but uh, remember, the weak are a long time in politics. So there's, um, uh, there's still something to play for. Uh, the trouble with the Socialist Party over the last five years is that it's been steadily hammered at every level. Um, it was a big party of local government, very big party of local government, and it's managed to lose its positions in local government, the departments, municipalities, regions, and that has, that has consequences right across the board, particularly when it comes to money, because there's money in local government. I don't, I don't mean you know, contracts and things like that. I wouldn't suggest anything like that. It's that the local councillors give a certain percentage of their salary to the Socialist Party. And it's that which kept it afloat. Um, unlike other parties, they can't go anywhere else for money. So it has been steadily hammered right down. And it's not in, I think it's in a much weaker position than it was uh, when Mitterrand took it over. Mitterrand took over an existing institution which he realised had potential and then proceeded to turn that into his vehicle as a presidential launchpad. Right. Macron's approach is very different. Macron says that the Socialist Party and its background and its, its supporters are useless for, useless for his particular project. He wants to push through a sort of third-way project, and he knows that the Socialist Party, as it's currently constituted, won't wear that. So it has to go. It can't, do it. It can't deal with it. So he's tried to build up this new movement, and the question is, what, uh, to what extent will he be able to do that? And if you want, one of my guesses, it was that on, on, on the board. I mean, you, you could envisage, based on the election results that we've had, Macron ending up with a majority in the Assembly. You could imagine it. Uh, and that would be a centrist majority. And that, without wishing to prolong this little discourse, 
would mean a return to the Fourth Republic, which would be very jolly. You'd have the two extremes and the centre against the centre, and they would work against the centre, and they would compress it, and that could be ultimately really quite unstable. So they'd have to change governments quite frequently. Thanks. Well, that kind of leads on to what I wanted to ask you, Philippe, because, I mean, it's a standard trope of the study of French politics in the last 50 years that there was a kind of bifurcation as a result of the presidentialization of the Fifth Republic, and yet there's nothing like a bifurcation going on here. There's a proliferation. And, and indeed, on the left, there's a kind of reconstitution of a major left of socialist force. So I wonder if you could reflect on that, because after all, up until the 1970s, the Communist Party was the main party of the left in France, not the Socialist Party. And, you know, that's not so long ago. It depends how old you are, but, I mean, it's, it's not so long ago. Um, so is, is, is there a sort of a return, in a sense, to this proliferation of parties in which the, not necessarily the communist tradition, but the left of socialist tradition becomes a or the major player and pole around which activism takes place. Uh, yes, you, you, you're right. Those institutions of the Fifth Republic, the De Gaulle's institution, which have been uh, around for since 1958, so quite enduring, I think that they are now... They, 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 they used to deliver majorities, and they used to deliver in that particular election, presidential Duel between the main representative, the, main, the candidate of the main party of the centre-left and, 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 and also of the, of, of the main party of the centre-right, with one exception. Well, two, in fact. 1969, where two conservatives made it to the second round, but because the then Socialist Party, SFIO, was also on its knees and, and, and dying. But 2002, as you may remember, it was Chirac against Le Pen, father, this time. So... If you set aside those ex exemptions, I think normally it works fine. It was very the logic of, of, of it all was really to, to to have those two blocks competing. First round, you have this this uh, choice between uh, 10, 12, 15 candidates from the far left to the far right across the whole political spectrum. This time, it's all upside down. It no longer works. So I think the first uh, sort of provisional conclusion is that it may be, it may sort of be the end of uh, uh, those institutions. By the way, a few candidates, notably on the left, were, are calling for a new constitution, a cis republic, uh, with a return to something more parliamentarian as opposed to the uh, current logic, which is sort of a giving to the executive with, with two heads, by the way, in France. You know, it's the president and the prime minister. Uh, sort of taking away some of the power, notably in the hands of the president, to give it back to the parliament. A bit similar to the, the situation we've got here, which was the prevailing situation in, in a fourth republic. You're, you're right on that. It's more democratic. I would agree with that. I think it's remarkable if you one day you, you have a chance to take a look at this dry document, which is the fifth, the, the constitution, the current constitution. There are sections. One of the sections, the powers of the president. Read, read out, read, read, read up this, this thing. It's 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 crazy. Probably in any democracy in the world, this is really uh, the executive, the, the president, which has the most power, more powerful than the U.S. president on paper, at least. It's it's amazing the power that that president has. So something very unhealthy about that, okay, with very few checks and balances on him. So what does it mean now for, uh, for the left? I think the second point is to say 
Mélenchon may be on course to do what only in Europe so far it, it, one party has managed to do, which is uh, um, Syriza in Greece, overtaking uh, the, the main left-wing party, uh, PASOK, Social Democratic, but in very special circumstances, as you know, Greece. Uh, the collapse of PASOK is, of course, linked to the uh, collapse of the Greek economy and the austerity plans. And it's a, it's a real popular rebellion against the very party which uh, set up and did all that, which is understandable. In the case of France, that's not exactly the same. You may argue, uh, I'm not going to make any, any particular point on that, people may argue in France, and some do on the left, that uh, Hollande indeed has, uh, has bankrupted the, the French economy, the divide between poor and rich is, is wider, and there's more unemployment. All that are, are fair points. But to compare the French economy to the Greek one, hang on, it's not that yet, at least. So, uh, hence, there is a backlash, tremendous backlash. And from London, although I'm, uh, I followed uh, French politics on a day-to-day -day basis, I go there often, I was surprised by the level of hatred directed at this party and anyone representing that party. It's, it's amazing, the, the, the scorn, the hatred against socialists in France, on the left notably. And of course, they're not going to get any support from the right. So that's why, free fall. Uh, Amon wasn't particularly responsible for anything. I think he's probably a decent bloke, modern, young, shifting the party to the left. That's what people wanted. But he came too late. If there's one person responsible, I think there are many culprits. But I think it's more, uh, we should more look uh, in the direction of the Elysee Palace, the incumbent, at, at least uh, the guy who's still there for another week. Hollande. Hollande really. Uh, great. So what's going to happen now? Um, it's too early to say. I think that uh, Mélenchon could, with his about uh, uh, France, uh, do a Syriza in a sense that consolidate the position and become the dominant party on the left. You would need seriously to social democratize the party. I can't. I don't believe you can be the dominant party in any uh, European uh, democracy in a capitalist system by playing a very radical left card. So that's not the signals and signs he's showing at the moment. So that's, that's why it's going to be hard. And also, uh, as David was saying, the Socialist Party is in very poor shape, fighting for its, its survival, but hasn't died yet, in my opinion. We, we, we need to wait for that next election to see how it's going to, to do. Okay, thanks. Um, and, Rukaya, to you, um, thanks very much for your presentation. I mean, you, you, you called it a multicultural dilemma for the Socialist Party. And, and I wanted to ask you, I, I guess, two things. I mean, the first is, what do you think the relationship is between that anti-immigrant politics that you were describing and the broader neoliberal economic stance of people like Macron and Valls? And, and I ask that sort of because, in my uninformed way, it seems to me that Valls has embraced a kind of national front position very strongly, whereas Macron at least appears to sort of want to put some distance between himself and it. So, so is there a relationship? What is the relationship between those two sort of stances? And secondly, and sort of following on from that, I mean, a lot of British press commentary talks about the election as representing peak populism and the, you know, sort of turning the page on that a little bit. Um, in as much as populism is about anti-immigrant politics, which is not the only thing it's about, is there, do you have any sympathy with that? Do you think it does represent something like that? How would you react to that sort of statement? 
thank you. Thank you for your question. I think that you really tackled the main difference between uh, Emmanuel Macron and Manuel Valls. They stand for the same views on, you know, neoliberal policies, but what really distinguish, distinguishes uh, one from another is the, their views on cultural and identity politics. Uh, when he was in the government, uh, Emmanuel Macron uh, stands, stands, um, stands against um, the strip of citizenship. He was the, one of the few who voiced the fact that that he was against that, and during the campaign, he went to Algeria to say that the uh, colonization was a crime against humanity, which was uh, something, unusual. yeah, to say that in the former colonies, something mm. very unusual. And uh, regarding, he didn't, he didn't say much on identity. I don't think that he has strong views, but he doesn't seem to, to support, support the same agenda as Manuel Valls, who is strongly uh, supporting, uh, you know, very um, like right-wing ways of seeing secularism, and you know, he, ever since he says something, he has to remind that he's in favor of uh, laicite, the French secularism. But he's, the way he sees laicite is closer than, to the right than to the, 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 the what we traditionally see, traditionally see on, uh, on the left. So we'll see, I think that my, uh, what will happen in the government um, of Macron will really depend on who he will appoint in the government. So it can be something very surprising, but for now I can't, I can't really tell uh, about that as long as we don't have the results of the parliamentary um, election. Uh, regarding um, the anti-immigrant sentiment, I think that... Um, the results of the election of Sunday were historical because um, 10.5 million uh, voters uh, voted for Marine Le Pen. It's a big number. It means that uh, she, in, in 2002, it was only 6 million people. So that means that even if she lost, lost the election, she's been able to settle her party as uh, a mainstream party and as you know, a party that belongs to the French political landscape. So that's, to me, a new shift, and knowing that she has so much support can send a signal to uh, maybe Les Républicains or maybe even the Socialist Party who will represent it, that there is um, a kind of market of voters who are sensitive to those kind of ideas. So in, there have been, because over the years, um, most of the parties, many, uh, the, the right and the left have been running after uh, these sentiments in the, that, is, that is spread among the voters of the Front National. So knowing that there are um, that many people who are sensitive to those ideas, maybe it will have an effect on the general discourse. So it will be up to uh, the next government to choose whether it supports uh, anti-immigration and anti-Islam sentiment or not. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you all three. Um, well, we're open now to questions and discussion from, from all of you. Um, there are people with microphones, so um, stick your hand up if you want to ask a question and then um, wait for the microphone and just tell us who you are and where you're from just so that we have some um, sense of that. Um, so this woman in the, in the middle at the back, please. Hi, my name is... Is it working? Yeah. My name is uh, Betsavi and I'm French, but I'm a PhD student at UCL. And I have a question for Professor Malier. Um, I was an a bit unsure about the, when you talked about the three streams in the left uh, party, in the Socialist Party. I think maybe before uh, Hollande's mandate, maybe that was the case where there was this central, centrist, apparatchik um, group of people. Um, but isn't it th not the case that now, uh, with uh, Hollande making the choice of taking this 
a neoliberal position uh, that this really centrist group of people don't really exist and they made the choice of just embracing that the neoliberalism liberalism. and then now we just have the Rocardien and neoliberals and the ones represented by Amon which are much more uh, radical left and anti-liberalism anti yeah Right. So there is no centre. I, th I think you should just answer that one. Okay. I mean, but try to be succinct so we can get okay. some... Yeah, yes, some... yes. Um, there is... A, I, I, I kind of agree with, with, your, with your point about this. the centre now is a sort of very feeble and, and, and uh, because clearly, as I said it in my, in my talk, um, this, this centre is a bit of a fake one in a sense. It leans to the, to the right wing and is more sympathetic to it. You know, and we saw it during the campaign. The party leader did very little to support uh, Amon. Because Amon is not, is not the party. This is another complication. Uh, he was just the candidate of the party. So, but still, institutionally, it's there. In a sense, the, the, the whole uh, position of, of Cambadélis and those apparatchiks and the party in uh, Rue de Solferino in Paris is to say, well, we're still the Socialist Party. Because Valls and the Macronists, as I call them, are doing more now. They are already calling for, let's work together with Macron. And they're going to jump ship. How long can they sustain that and do it? At some point, they're going to be together. As soon as one of them or more will, will start running for Macron in this legislative election in a month's time, hardly, uh, that's it. Goodbye. Uh, so there's still institutionally a center trying to sort of keep the party together, but politically, I agree with you. It's it's more um, there's more left wing and right wing now. Okay. Um, so um, this gentleman with the tie. Hello. Thank you very much. My name is uh, Vadim. I'm from Russia. Um, so I suppose we uh, we have a lot to answer for in terms of Marines' uh, <laughs> uh, votes, but. Um, I'm looking at the chart behind you, and it seems to mirror very Just closely. Just speak up a little bit. I'm looking at the chart behind you, and it seems to mirror quite closely the earlier chart that we saw about working-class support for um, Le Pen. Um, and uh, going to the point that Ms. Diallo said about how um, you know, the left should be about defending minorities, uh, you know, also another part of the left is obviously the, about defending the working class. And... Uh, who should the French left ditch in order to win the next election? Should they ditch the working class or should they ditch the minorities? Let me just direct that to Professor Bell, I think. Can, are you in a position to say something about well, that? Well, yes. I, but you've put your finger on one of the debates that's been going on for 10 years on the French Socialist Party. One group of people have said for a long time around a think tank called Terra Nova that they should ditch the working class. Uh, frankly, the working class are reactionary and uh, racialist, and, and un, they're lost to us. That's quite a. Uh, I mean, I'm being flippant about it, but it's quite a worked-out position. And a lot of those people have moved into the group around uh, Macron. People who supported that kind of idea. So you go for the centre of the cities, the pref professional classes, and you build up strength there. So there is there is that. Yes, certainly there is that group. On the other hand, there is the old and, I suppose you could say, the traditional uh, socialist uh, party people who say, well, we've got to win back our traditional supporters and we, we cannot win uh, without them. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but those people are still represented very strongly in the socialist party, 
not the uh, Terra Nova people who say we should ditch them. Uh, if, I, if I can add something, um, I don't think that you have to oppose minorities and workers and you know, the, the lower social classes. Uh, when we say that uh, workers and you know, vote for um, Front National, it, I mean, it's mostly white workers, but in the minorities, uh, the, 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 the lower classes are overrepresented. And I think that there is, I, I don't think that Marine Le Pen really defends the interests of the class. You, ha, you can have a social class that, votes, that vote against their own interests. It, it's, it's not because uh, the workers vote for Marine Le Pen that she supports them for real. So it's, uh, it's, it's not, um, and I think that uh, someone like Jean-Luc Mélenchon really stands for uh, the rights of the workers, especially in economy, in the, social mo the, the French social mo model. So uh, it's not something antagonist to defend at the same, to support at the same time ethnic minorities and workers, because it was a dilemma in the 70s. Uh, you know, in the left, there were people saying to the feminists that they should wait because the, the the social, the, the class battle, the social uh, battle was a priority to, 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 you know, before the feminist, um, the feminist battle. And to me, you, you, you can prioritize because you have people who belong to all the categories. You can be a woman, you can be a worker, and you can be a minority at the same time. And you, you can choose when you belong to many categories at the same time. And it's very different. Um, uh, it's not the same thing when when a politician says that he supports some 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 group and when it act, when he actually do when he actually does it's very it's something very different. Yeah, uh, a quick point about the the French working class and voting and broad sociological considerations. I think very often in the media in, in this country, but also in France, to be fair, uh, the working class presented as you know it's the it's the supporting en masse Le Pen. I think it's much more complex than that. It's, it's largely untrue. Uh, it is true that she tops in terms of working class people voting. She, is, she gets more votes from working class. First, we need to define what we talk about. It's blue-collar working class from the industry, but that has been a sort of a dwindling type of category anywhere, not simply France. But also, you, if, you, if you think of people working in the services, for instance, low-wage, flexibility. This is also working class nowadays. So that's a good chunk of the population. I would say that in general 30% historically of the working class in France has always voted for the right. So there's always a working class like in this country which is conservative, notably on uh, cultural issues. So can't vote for the left, okay? Uh, notably independent workers. So um, it's really um, it's an oversimplification to say, well, the working class should be for the left. If that were the case, the left would always be in power. That's not, it's more complex. S second point I'd like to make, the number one party of the working class, and for a long time has been the party of abstention. The working class abstains much more than any other socio uh, uh, sociological category in France and also, I think, in, in, in most democracies. So if you think of who votes for Le Pen, and Mélenchon did very well this time around, uh, I agree with Rokaya, appealing, uh, been, had been a long time appealing and trying to, getting probably people from the working class who've been abstaining, because I think people have been supporting Le Pen for a long time. Their main motivation you can propose them probably the best uh, socioeconomic reforms. I think it's essentially a type of working class which, which has you know, uh, cultural values, which are those of authority, which are those probably of not uh, liking too much European integration, we are afraid of immigration, and so on and so forth. So that's very hard for any left-wing candidate and program really to appeal to them.
Okay, um, the woman with the orange scarf. Hi, my name is Laura Sochas, I'm French. Uh, my question is for Madame Diallo. I really agree with your analysis that um, the liberal left has been at best colorblind. I think uh, the fr French people on the left um, still believe that uh, there's not that much racism in France. Um, and I, I think, you know, that that's a problem. Uh, and so I'm wondering kind of what do we do about that? Um, how can uh, we sort of persuade the left not only to not be anti-immigration, but uh, to sort of engage with uh, ethnic minority issues more constructively and positively? And I know that you're an activist, so perhaps your uh, response will be around that, but I'd also like to know uh, your views around how uh, parties can tackle this issue and particularly do you know of any political personalities that are more progressive on this issue? Thank you. Thank you for your questions. questions. Um, I think that the first thing is to address those issues because uh, as the country is so, uh, so, you know, is supposed to be colorblind, nobody really addresses address race except uh, actually the Front National. And there is um, almost no mention of, there has almost been no mention of race during the campaign. The only candidate that really had an agenda on, on discrimination was Benoit Hamon. And I, I agree with Philippe, Benoit Hamon is not the Socialist Party, but he really had the will uh, to address police brutality, uh, women's rights, and to really do something about that. And the fact that uh, in France we are supposed to be colorblind, that we don't have any ethnic data, make us unable to even to understand how the country is framed. Uh, we know that we have a deep issue with police brutality. It's one of the main topics, according to me, in the impoverished neighborhood. Most of the uprising um, uh, uh, that had occurred uh, since the 70s had occurred, occurred because of uh, um, uh, later uh, police interaction with uh, an inhabitant of uh, a quartier in the banlieue. But nothing has been done. Um, there is something very easy that could be done with the police uh, stop and frisk policies, uh, giving a paper to the, to the people who are checked, uh, having a motivation on the paper, the name of the police officer, and the, you know, the, just the, the place where the check has took place. And Hollande, um, you know, it's not, it's cheap, it's not, you know, expensive to do, and it, but it's, it was. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't uh, accepted by the government because of ideology. Because Manuel Valls didn't want. He had the support of poli the police unions, and he didn't want to do so. So having at least uh, an agenda on, you know, discrimination would really help because we are unable. Uh, in France, just to voice uh, concerns regarding race, because you can even say race in French, because when you say that, you know, oh, there's not, uh, there's only one race; it's a human race. Obviously, we all belong to the same race, but we're not treated all the same, and that's something that is really untold. And it's funny because, uh, as a journalist, I work a lot on equality issues, and I see a very good coverage on police brutality, but in the US or here in, in the UK. But when it comes to France, we don't even know the name of the people who are killed by the police. It's, when it's covered, we, there is no mention of the race of the, the, the person. 
even it's, if, if it's racist, if he's racist, obviously the reason why the person died. So there is something that needs to be reframed and to be, to, be, to be named. So I don't know what will happen with the new government, but I think that's one of the reasons why people in the, in the banlieue don't vote because they don't feel like they're represented and taken into account. Okay, thanks. Um, actually, why don't we come over on this side because I haven't been looking at this, this gentleman with the blue coat. Thanks. Uh, Benedict Mann, I represent no one. Um, uh, we talked about the risk earlier that uh, the National Front... Sorry. We talked about the risk earlier that the National Front vote continues to rise. Um, is there a, a set of policies available to Macron that uh, could bring back those voters? Um, and uh, if so, what, what are the chances of him getting them through the Parliament in any of its eventual configurations. Okay, I should direct that to someone. Um, why don't I direct it to you because you're right next to me. Okay. <laughs> I'll try. Um, well, there's a sort of simple answer and, and then a more probably complex one. The simple one is, of course, if you tackle uh, unemployment, you give a chance, a job to, 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 to the young, uh, you sort of preserve... Uh, uh, the French uh, social state, uh, which is um, which is a good one, but it has been really fairly dismantled by previous governments, notably this uh, incumbent one. Uh, if you do a number of things, which clearly give uh, a sort of a perspective, you know, life, uh, uh, jobs, uh, um, uh, sort of spending power to to to, to people and 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 in households and and so on and so forth, I think. There's this idea that the, what really feeds in uh, the, the Front National vote will sort of uh, go down, and there's no reason, you know, if, if people worse off uh, are in jobs, uh, um, good education, good public services. If you think of, uh, it was a bit of the debate, of, I don't know if I should really go into that, but Brexit, you know, one of the reasons I think. So it's, there was, of course, talks about Europe, but there was also a lot of anger and and. and and disillusion and, and discontent regarding the state of the economy, public service in this country, which was entirely to do with, with Europe. So I think it's a bit the same. This side, so that's a simple one. That remains to be seen, but I think that would help tremendously. The second thing is probably, and that's Rokaya, that's more sort of a terrain, and, and is um, because previous governments of the left and right have failed dramatically in sort of tackling those issues I've just mentioned, socioeconomic issues, bread and butter, giving good jobs, good public services, they've tended to develop a kind of public discourse which tends a bit of a smokescreen, distraction toward other issues. And I think I'd like to, to frame you know, what we've been alluding to, uh, the three of us, and talking about, but using this American expression of culture wars. I think France is developing culture wars. You know, this idea that, you know, laïcité, French, the French realm of secularism, uh, should we have religious signs? Where? In schools, in public places, uh, and then it becomes the, 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 the length of the, of, of, of the dresses for women, the length of, of the beards for men, all these sort of absolutely crazy things, totally liberal. A lot of mainstream politicians jump on the bandwagon, you mentioned Val several times, he's supposed to be a socialist. That doesn't help. It, it, puts, it, creates, it creates an atmosphere, a climate in which, you know, 
you justify, legitimize, of course, the opinions and the talk of Le Pen herself. You know, the brand of laicite, the brand of rep republicanism, which is a sort of national narrative in France. Everyone is republican in France, but there are different interpretations. Some can be inclusive, others can be exclusive. And the, the error made by mainstream politicians of the left and right has been really to follow this sort of very exclusive interpretation and, 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 and narrative. And of course, in the end, uh, Le Pen doesn't have to move a finger. If you think of the, the saga on the Burkini last summer, Le Pen didn't open her mouth the whole summer because she let mainstream politicians of the center-left and right do the dirty job for her because they were exactly saying the same things she would have said. Okay, now I want to, I want to try and get in some more questions, but I, I know you want to say something yes, quickly. Want, but I, just well, no, if, I, yeah, I shall be very quick here because I think that question gets the cigar or the coconut. I mean, I think that's crucial. What, my sense of Macron is that he's, he's got a very radical program and he's sliding down the razor blade pretty fast so that this, if this doesn't work, it's going to be very disruptive. And there have been, already been riots in Paris. So we're talking about a, a situation which is going to be extremely difficult to manage politically. Does Macron have the ability to do that? Now, the, other th the, thing, is, the thing is, what Macron is doing is, within the euro which everybody in France, well, predominantly in France, supports. Within the euro, what Macron appears to be trying to do is, is to engineer an internal deflation, an internal devaluation, so that they can compete in uh, Europe with Germany. And, but, and doing this will mean reducing wages, flexibilizing, opening up the market, um, and privatizing and laying off state functionaries, laying off civil servants. That's going to be very, very difficult to do and even if it works, it's going to be highly disruptive. Can I say one other thing? Uh, if you're super, super quick. Well, I, I can't promise that. Well, um, in that case. <laughs> I can't want to come back. I want to come back on Philip because I don't think there's any problem with the Sixth Republic. We, the, 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 the Fifth Republic is not an executive presidency. It's excluded. But, no, it's excluded. The practice. the practice is, but it's excluded by the Constitution. Article 5 excludes an executive president. All the French people have to do to change the republic from a presidential one is to stop voting for the presidential party. Okay, well, the best way to solve that is to do what you suggested and read the Constitution. Um, can I just see who else wants to ask questions so we don't leave people out? I think I'll just take um, three people, actually. So uh, this, this gentleman here, and then after him, um, the woman with the pink coat, and then the bloke in the shirt. I'm John Pugh from... The streets of East Ham are banlieue. Um, two quick questions at an angle to what you've been talking about. First of all, cyber campaigning. Has any party or candidate been doing that sort of thing? Has it been effective? And also the financial support for the, their activities. Has the rise of macro uh, reallocated support or got new sources of, of support? Is he going to starve some of his rivals in, in a month's time, in the next month? Okay, it's, just, a, it's a matter of the mechanics of how these parties are mm -hmm. working. Thanks. Just take a note because you might be called upon. Um, so, uh, yes, please. Hey, uh, my question will be to Rokhaya. Uh, since you're an activist, you are probably talking to young people more. So what do you think about the position of the uh, white young French people? Are they supporting immigrants more or are they supporting immigrants less to compare to the older generations? Thank you. Thank you. That was an excellently succinct question. <laughs> um, yeah. um, so my question to the whole panel. 
Um, so Marine Le Pen is often described as quite a far-right politician, but actually, um, as I'm sure you know, uh, she has quite a few left positions uh, in this election, at least. Um, do you think the support for traditional left-wing policy helped her gain support in the election? Okay, thank you. That was also excellently succinct. Um, so we, we've got cyber security, cyber and finances. Uh, then we've got a question directed at you about young people. And we've got this um, leftist component to Le Pen's posture. Um, does anyone have some information on cyber and finance? Uh, do, does anyone want to address Let's ask that? Our Russian friend. Then. <laughs> well, he, he's all, he, he prefaced his question by fessing up to that, but it's cyber campaigning. I'm terribly sorry. Cyber campaigning and finance. Why don't you have a quick go at that? I think that was probably the first presidential election where the, the cyber campaigning became very big and really really something of a, of a mass uh, phenomenon. I think there's a clear victor there of all candidates. It's, it's Mélenchon. He was absolutely head and shoulder, extremely well, not himself. He, I don't think he even can tweet anything. It's just <laughs> these people who are very young, very imaginative, very, very good, very good at that. A lot of people master very well the tools of, uh, of internet, social media. And very original, you've heard of his holograms, uh, the fact he was able at some point to be in seven, seven to give us a, a, a talk in seven different cities, of course, uh, that was his uh, projection of his image. Um, then um, he's very effective, he launched a, a, a sort of a private TV uh, channel on, on YouTube. And he, you could see him uh, sitting uh, very relaxed on his sofa and... Uh, and talking, uh, you know, on and on about the, the the rationale being the mainstream media, meaning the, the capitalist media, will not give me a fair chance to expose my views. So, come to me, and I was absolutely, extremely popular. The number of hits and 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 viewers were were amazing. So he, he really, he really did very well. I suppose for the next campaign, the other candidates would probably try to emulate that because he was the others were. Absolutely behind that, no, no way, and that probably was effective. Just a point about, I leave the funding probably for David, if you want. Uh, Le Pen's left-wing policies, um, yeah. For instance, she proposes to return to uh, retirement age to 60, bringing it back. So you could say, well, if you're on the left, you should you should really fight to make people uh, go on retire uh, early rather than uh, drop dead at work, as it is the, the sort of scheme of uh, neoliberals of the world. But um, there are things like that, but it's inconsistent with, with uh, sort of the general outlook of the policies, which are, you know, the, the National Front started off in 1980 as a very neoliberal party, and I think they're still... It's because of the inconsistency that you can't... It's not the new Communist Party uh, policy-wise. It's absolutely... Uh, it's a charade. It's absolutely wrong to, to, to say that. But like Trump in the U.S., there's elements of national protectionism economically, which make a look and sound some, sometimes as a left-winger, inverted comma. And, of course, in a televised debate where she, she fared so badly, she was over-aggressive, she was a bully, typical extreme-right person, she at least uh, did all try to, to tick all the boxes of a kind of... Uh, 
class uh, hatred, so to speak, the banker, the cosmopolitan, the globalist, all those things, you know, against Macron. All that was uh, thrown at him in the first 30 seconds of the, of the televised debate, which lasted two hours. So, uh, But she tries to do that because she knows very well that it is successful. She strikes a chord amongst the population in France with this. But I don't think it's, it's genuine. Okay. And I can add uh, something on cyber campaigning. I think that the Front National uh, did good as well because for a long time they, they really had uh, advance in social media, social, um, you know, internet blogging because for a long time they, was, they were not uh, visible in the mainstream media. So early in the 2000, uh, all the, you know, activists from the far right started to blog and to be very present on social media uh, before, you know, they have some space in the mainstream media. So today still they are very, very strong and very effective on trolling, on you know, spreading uh, rumors. And I think that even if um, uh, Mélenchon was very successful with his YouTube channel, the Front National is still very effective on spreading rumors, uh, conspiracy theories on social media. One of the um, most um, followed uh, blog is uh, François de Souche. It's an online platform that has no link with the with, uh, with any, you know, official uh, media. Uh, and there is another platform what, that is named uh, Novo Press, who is called Re Information uh, uh, Platform. And this, they really try to um, take information, regular information, and to... to how can I to to uh, to give to give to them a new interpretation? And it's something that is really really uh, strategized. If you, I, I interviewed uh, one of the founder of the of the of the media, and it's something that they really have thought about about really trying to influence. When, for example, uh, if you go to an article, the comment the commenting section, they come to comment certain issue to shift all the the line of commentary. Uh, on immigration. It's something that really they have strategized for, for some years and they have much advance um, uh, compared to the other parties. Regarding uh, white um, young people, I think that it really depends on their social, uh, social status. There, there are many young people who support uh, the Front National and most of them belong to uh, fragile categories, so they are unemployed, they don't have uh, many degrees, so that they are really subject to unemployment. And it, I think it depends on, you know, whether they are successful in economy, in social, uh, in their social life or in their uh, working life, professional life or not. So I can, I, I, I'm not sure if you can say that, you know, generally young white people have these or those views on, uh, on immigration. But uh, the Front National is really, really successful on immigration. And actually it's one of the parties who has brought uh, most of the young politicians in the poli French politics political landscape. Uh, Florian Filippo, who is the vice president of the Front National, is only 30, 35. The younger senator and the younger uh, MEP uh, are from the, from the Front National. And uh, one of the younger mayors in France, uh, Franck Fréjus, was elected when he was only 26. So they have been able to bring many young faces in the politician, political landscape and to, and to attract, in this way, many young uh, activists and supporters. Thanks. Yeah, comment on this Please. question here because mm. I, I don't know how, how much you followed the French elections but one of the problems that Le Pen had in between ballots was, yeah you probably followed it closely but um, well as, as um, apart from the uh, the problem that she had on the last debate in which she came over as a kind of blend between uh, Ian Paisley and Donald Trump uh, 
the difficulty was the strategy that she, cho- she chose. Now, as Jimmy Maxton said, if you can't ride two horses at the same time, you shouldn't be in the bloody circus. But she wasn't able to appeal both to the working class and to the conservatives. And she chose, or seemed to choose, to go for the working class supporters of Mélenchon in particular. And that didn't work. The polling figures which I've seen, and they're only the last day, but they seem, they're plausible. Only about 10% of Mélenchon's supporters transferred to Le Pen on the second ballot. Uh, and uh, Fillon's supporters were equally reluctant. Most people now think that she should have uh, concentrated to build up a vote on going for the Conservative Centre. Okay. Well, I, I fear we should... Um Oh, okay. Well, it is um, eight o'clock. Um, <laughs> financial support. Have you got a is quick? Is this being com- recorded? It is being recorded. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about it if it's being recorded. Um, <laughs> no, s- s- the, the financial support actually. The financial support is. I mean, they published. They published that. It's above board. Um, but I would just say one thing that's good about financial support is it depends on the number of votes you get. So your expenses are paid back if you get over a certain threshold of 5%. votes. As the man said. You need to secure, if you have and 5% that, to get your, your money back. That means that Hamon gets his money back, but the smaller candidates don't. But also, that's going to be important in June. It's going to fragment the, elect, the electorate in June because all the parties have an incentive to put up candidates in June so they'll get money for each vote. And that means, particularly on the left, that you're going to have a whole variety of Greens, communists, Melanchronists, socialists, and God knows who else. Uh, and that's going to fragment the left vote in June. Money, money, wampum. Okay, well, that is a recorded observation of money. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, listen, thank you very much. Um, it really is a, it's a great panel. It's, a, it's, such a, it's such an interesting election, and we've heard, I think, a, a number of very... We've seen a number of very important things from the panel. First of all, just some, some data came out at the beginning, some predictions from our panellists, a bit of discussion about how to view this. You know, is it a, a car crash or a revolution? And uh, a, a much more detailed look at the absolutely central role of immigration and immigration politics in the contemporary French, and I think you'll agree, uh, politics beyond France as well. So can I just end by asking you to join me in thanking our panel?